Pass to Garrett Green, and Green's going to wind up and throw it back the other way. It's caught at the 10. It's a touchdown. USC! Garrett Green, a former high school quarterback, throws to Desmond Reed, the senior. And the Trojans are on the board with a little razzle-dazzle. It's 13 to nothing. How do you do? USC fans, it's time to get into the game with the Peristyle Podcast. Every week you can get your Trojan football fix as the uscfootball.com staff brings you the latest on the USC football team and the inside scoop on recruiting. And now, here are your hosts of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey Hyde. to the Peristyle Podcast, Episode 2. We're here at the Burger Continental in uh, lovely Pasadena, California, and I have a special guest today. Uh, it's with the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, thanks for joining us. Hey, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be with you always. I'll tell you, you, you ate here last week, and the first thing you said, let's do a show here. That, that, I love this place. It's great. Uh, a lot of history, and everyone knows you, so you're, you're a celebrity around these parts. Well, I don't know about that. From here, I go and do the dishes, okay? <laughs> That's how you get the free meals. I like that. Yeah, you wondered. <laughs> you know, I, I walk you out to the car, then I have to come back and work for I, it. I have no idea. That's <laughs> um, so, you know, people probably know you from the uh, Sunday brunch shows that you do during oh, yeah. the season at USC. Mm-hmm. Can you give the, the folks at home a little background of uh, what you've done. You were a coach at UNLV, Pasadena City College, stuff like that. Well, I tell you, for all of our listeners that are out there, you know, I've never worked for a living. I, I think I have to admit that to everyone out there. Well, I have to I have to admit that to you. We See that? The guy wants to take the order, right? <laughs> he knew how hungry we as were. Soon as we're yes, okay. Poor guy didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> but I hope he comes back. But uh, yeah, I, I've never worked a day in my life because I feel like what I do is I love and I went to college, really. Uh, community college, I went there because I wanted to continue playing football out of high school. Then I went to a four-year school, and I loved that because the community college gave me an opportunity to mature enough academically and athletically to get a scholarship. But I graduated from a small school called the University of Redlands, which okay. is out in the San Bernardino area. Yeah, yeah. Small school. Nine, nine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> academics. I went okay. academics, okay. see. The Ivy League of the West. So okay. then I got my master's there. I met my wife there and started coaching high school football in Riverside at Norte Vista High School. Got the opportunity to go to Pasadena City College where I played football and was the uh, defensive coordinator there. We were lucky enough to get some great players. Went to the Junior Rose Bowl. Used to have the Junior Rose Bowl. That was awesome. 50 or 60,000 people used to come to it in Pasadena. Used to always be December 8th, 9th, or 10th, depending what date that was, because that was the last game that was played in the Rose Bowl because the tournament would allow us to have that because they had to get the turf ready for the Rose Bowl game. So we uh, played in the Junior Rose Bowl in 1966, that was. And then I went and I got the defensive coordinatorship at the University of Hawaii. And uh, stayed there a short year, about a year and a half, and then all of a sudden the head coaching job opened at Pasadena City College. So I came back to Pasadena City College as the head football coach, along with uh, Myron Tarkanian, because he was with me at Hawaii, and we both wanted to leave, so we came back as co-head football coaches. That way we both had a job. Okay. So we came back to Pasadena City College, and then from Pasadena City College, I coached for many years. And then, I, really, I, I'm proud of this. I'm, I was the first community college coach that ever got a Division One coaching job, right from community wow, college. that's amazing. Yeah. All right, right from community college to the head football coaching job, at uh, the univer- or UNLV, or University of Nevada, Las Vegas, which 
Uh, at that time, I was the only one that ever do that. Now, another coach I know that did that was Tom Kraft. Okay. Tom Kraft went from Palomar to San Diego State after I had done it. Okay. So and usually they were hiring assistants or people. Oh, yeah. yeah or yeah. other four-year coaches would right. move from a Division two or whatever, you know, but never from a community college, okay. straight to a Division one head coaching job. So I was at UNLV four years, and I was very fortunate at UNLV to have some great coaches and some great players. I always believe that the better you surround yourself with, the better you can be. So what happened, uh, I hired myself a great staff. Some were friends, some were, some were needs. I had to get that. I had the first strength and conditioning coach ever that wow. had a major in strength and conditioning from the University of Nebraska. Remember, Boyd Epley was there. So they developed a major in strength and conditioning, and Tim Wilson became my strength and conditioning coach. And from UNLV later, when I went to Pittsburgh Steelers and so on, and Pittsburgh Pirates and so on, but had a great career in that. So what, would everyone. what would they do before that? They, the, no, coaches the coaches would, would do it. Oh, okay. They never, they never had a strength and conditioning coach. And uh, I used to have great talks with George Allen all the time. George Allen was a good friend of mine, and we used to sit down, and he used to tell me, you always have to have specialists in everything. Remember, he had a special teams coach. He was the first one to ever have a special teams coach okay. in the NFL. And he used to always talk to me about what's the most important piece of equipment on a football player. And I'd say, a helmet. I would think a helmet. He said, you're wrong, you're wrong. And he'd say, a shoe, a shoe. Why would you always wear a shoe all the time, even yeah. when you're going half speed or you're walking through with no, no drill or, or no, no full pads, speed? Yeah, no the, helmet, yeah. shoe. The shoe's got to fit you. The, the footing on the field's got to be there. You've got to have the right length of cleat, all of that. So, you know, every day you, you learn things from, mm -hmm. from coaches, and, and everyone steals from everybody, right. okay? It's the biggest crooky <laughs> business out there. I wore a mask when I used to go in and talk to George Allen. When I'm okay, coach, it's time for me to stick you up, and I'm going to find some things about what's going on in your head. Yeah. And I remember one time he was trying to hire me. He did hire me. And I remember this story, and I, I got away from what we were talking about, but okay. I'll get back to it. No, you like to hear these type of stories. I, I love these types of stories. So what happened, he was trying to hire me at Long Beach State when he got the head coaching job there. I was out of coaching doing what I'm doing now, radio and television broadcasting, and uh, we were sitting there, and he had, a, he had a big list of things. And he was writing on the White House stationery. At, at that time, he was working in the White House with Ronald Reagan as the uh, developer, development of physical education and health. He was in charge of that. So he, was, he wanted me to run the football program while he was in Washington, D.C., until he could go through his term there and then come back to Long Beach State. And I kept saying, Coach, I can't do this. I got radio shows. I got obligations and things. He said, don't worry. You can still do that, too. I'll allow you to fly after practice to Vegas, do your shows, and fly back. Wow. I said, how can we do all this? So I, was, I kept saying, no, no. Then he said to me, he says, let's go have some ice cream. We were having dinner, and I said, Ice cream, Coach, because he was a big ice cream eater, if you remember. I that. am an ice cream eater as well. You are too? I, I like it. It's a man of my heart, yes. But he's, but you know, I bet you never went to this restaurant. He said, let's go over uh, President Reagan's house. He said, let's go over there and have ice cream with Pre President Reagan. Yeah, I cannot say I've done that, yes. <laughs> but this, because he was very close friends with President, oh, president wow. Reagan. In fact, he, he was still president. So what, what he wanted to do, and they looked the same. If you ever looked at Ronald Reagan and George Allen, they could have been brothers. The I, way they combed their hair and everything, you know, the only thing that President Reagan didn't do is lick his thumb, you know, and, and grab his bill of his hat like George Allen used to do. So I said, Coach, I can't do that. I, you don't have to go to that length. He wouldn't take no, wouldn't take no. So I went home, talked about it with my wife, explained her what he had wanted me to do, and to make the short story short, we could go on all day. I accepted the job as an associate head coach at Long Beach State. Recruiting coordinator, lost Long Beach State. Offensive running back coach at, U, uh, at uh, 
at Long Beach State, and then I still did my radio and TV shows. I would fly up to Vegas after practice twice a week, do my shows. I, at that time, I was doing the, wow. the show with Jerry Tarkinian, Hide and Tark, Live at the Park. That's what it was called. Nice, that's awesome. It was, we did it at the Alexis Park Hotel. I'd fly back, they'd pick me up, I'd go to practice, I'd meet in the meetings, the whole thing. But that's, that's near there, you know. So that's just one of the stories, and maybe we can tell a lot of these type of stories here if we do this regularly. But um, then from UNLV, uh, I left UNLV, and I said, you know, I think, I think I coached for 25 years at that time. And I said, you know, I, I want to do radio, because these guys used to come in and interview me and all this stuff, and then they go home. It was wonderful. And some of these guys didn't know what they were talking about, and some of these guys didn't know what they were talking okay. about. So I said, and they go home and it's all over with. You don't have to go out and pick up the paper in the morning and worry about what people are thinking about you and all this <laughs> and that. So I knew no one's going to hire me. No one's going to hire me. Who's this guy? A football coach going to do radio, TVs? So what I did is I got together and I went down to a couple stations in Vegas, and I said, what does it cost me to buy some time here? That way I knew I could hire myself. Right, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You can fire yourself if you're not doing yeah, a good then job. I was yeah, I get done. I was going to fire myself. So I went down to one of the most powerful stations in Vegas. It used, it's KDON, it was called. KDWN. It's still going. 50,000 square uh, watts. Watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Blowtorch, yeah. Yeah, blowtorch. <laughs> so I went down there, and she knew who I was, and I was very fortunate that I had a lot of friends since I coached in Vegas that... I went to them, I had no idea what it cost, spots, nothing like that. And they said, well, we'll sponsor you, we'll sponsor you, we'll sponsor you, we'll sponsor you. And so on. I, so I had one hour a week. That wasn't a big deal. And it, and it got to mushroom. Then I went two hours a week, then three hours a week, then four hours a week, then five hours a week, then six hours a week. Then it went up 10, 12 hours a week, whatever it was. And then some, one of the hotels, I remember Circus Circus called me and said, we want you to do a weekly television show from Circus Circus, they said. And, and I said, well, I, I, I don't live there then on the weekends. I come back to Southern California. They said, don't worry about it. We'll fly you up on, on Friday mornings, pick you up at the airport, drive you over to the set. The set will be all set. We walk on. It's three, two, and one. Go. We do the TV show. We'll drive you straight back to the airport, and you'll be back in Southern California. Now, what does your wife say about all this? My, well, my wife, my wife just let me do this, so... So what happened, I accepted that gig too, my first television thing. And as you can hear there, the plates are being put down in front of us. They're going to feed us no matter what here at the Burger Continental. Beautiful women here too at yes, the Burger Continental. It's wonderful. Too bad this is not television. <laughs> but um, so I would get up, do my jogging about 5 or 6 in the morning, get over to Burbank Airport. I would catch the 8 o'clock flight. They'd pick me up at 9, shoot me right to the set at Circus Circus. Get on, shoot the shoot the series. I would be back in a plane back here, and I'd be having lunch at the University Club by twelve wow, in Pasadena. Amazing. Is that uh, absolutely they, were, they really wanted you? Apparently. Well, I don't know if they wanted me or not, but can you believe this? We did seventy-two straight shows like that. Finally, I said, you know, guys, I love you, but I can't do this because then I went on and I picked up. Uh, I was doing the game of the week in football and I was flying out again on Sundays or Saturday nights or wherever it is, wherever I had to go and broadcast and, and do all that. So it just got to be too much. So then I get to George Allen. I work with him, as you know, as I just mentioned that. And now I've just been doing radio and television. I've been very fortunate enough the last four four years, I believe it is, to do the pregame show, an hour of pregame show uh, for USC football, along with some great guys I work with there. 
And uh, this year, for the first time, Trojan Brunch. Yeah, I'll tell you, they feed you, that, feed you there at that Trojan Brunch, just like we're eating here at the Burger Where's Conner. that located at? Oh, that, would, you, would you like to come down? We do that in the studio. Okay. Right there in La Cienega. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, Brandon Hancock, yeah, he's a oh, good buddy. Brandon Hancock and Newberry and, and uh, Dave, uh, uh, Dave Newholm. Isn't that his Dave name? Denholm. Dave Denholm. Denholm, Denholm. Yes, yeah. Yes, he and they, they, he well, comes yeah. in and does a little bit of... Uh, Substituting when when Newberry can't make his trip okay. from Dallas. Yeah, he comes up from Texas. He, he comes right, up yeah. from Dallas. He goes okay. back and fishes all week. Then he comes back here and does football. Right. But you know those those the place kickers they're a little different anyway. You know? <laughs> That's a different entity. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got, got a named, fullback, a kicker, and a coach. It's yeah, kind of an yeah. interesting. Mix, and I, I love being with him. I love working with him. I call. I tell Brandon that I'm going to get him on The Bachelor. Yes. He's going to be on that TV show. He should definitely be there. And I tell and I tell Newberry I'm going to get him on Dancing with the Stars. Okay, because is he, is they're he both light on his feet. I don't yeah, know. it's light. You know, jumps around, does all these things. You know, a kicker's supposed kicker to be stuff. coordinated with his feet and legs, right? Yeah, he so, tries to pride himself as being a football player too. I don't know if I see it as much. But what do you think? Well, you know, those guys were roommates at one time. Can you uh, imagine that? Wow, I talk to him about that all the time. But <laughs> but it, it's it's been pleasant. It's been fun. Like I'm working with you here now, Ryan. This is fun talking about the past and talking about the future and talking about USC football, talking about the players, talking about draft choices. I've had players go on and become tremendous players like Randall Cunningham, Terrell Davis, uh, Icky Woods, uh, and talk to them continuously. I've had players go on and become head football coaches at Fresno State. Uh, Pat Hill was on my staff at UNLV, excuse me. Tim Brewster at the University of Minnesota played for me at Pasadena City College. I've been able to follow these kids through their lives and it makes you you feel almost like a parent watching them grow up and you know so many times you read about the negative things that surround athletics but the positive far more outnumber the negative things that are going on with, with with athletes today first of all they get a chance to go to college something that a lot of kids would never have an opportunity to do and find out what it's like to go to utah or or, or, or see snow. I remember the first time that, <laughs> that when we f- played for the championship in Logan, Utah. And if I'm going too long in this segment, just tell me that's no, it, good, coach. No, we're good, coach. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember playing. We played for the championship, Randall's senior year at Utah State. And it was just freezing cold, freezing cold, man. And I, half of my players had never seen snow before wow. because they were from That'd L.A. Be an amazing experience for them just oh, doing yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't want them to, you know, they were all looking outside and watching all the snow come down, and, and they knew how cold it was. They probably had brought all kinds of gloves and mittens and everything to wear up there because they knew what to expect. And I remember coming down in the morning, coming down, and I was looking at all of them, and they, we were having a pregame show or, or a meal. The game was at 1, I think. And uh, I looked at these guys, and they're all looking around and, and so on. I was in a T-shirt and some trunks, okay? And I said, you know what? I, gotta, I got to pass a message on to this guy, these guys that, you know, we're not going to die by playing in the snow. We're not going to have any nothing. It's just water. It's yeah. frozen a little bit, yeah. okay? We swim in it. We shower in it, you know? Water got really cold. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So I, I told them, okay, enjoy the meal. I'll be back in a few minutes. Keep the noise down, all the stuff I usually tell them. And they saw me go out this door, big glass door. And they saw me just disappear, you know, just disappear into the snow. And so I went out and I jogged for about 15, 20 minutes. I don't know how long it was. Walked back in. I had snow on my hair. I brushed it off. My, my shirt was wet. You know, the whole thing. Came back, sit down. I ordered a cup of coffee. Didn't say a thing to them. They just looked at me. So I stood up, gave them my normal, you know, pregame talk after breakfast and so on. Being sure you're down here, but the buses leave at this time and so on. And left. I called my staff over. We have a staff meeting right after that, talking about. I said, "Okay, now, when we go to the stadium, 
No one wears a jacket. We, sh we coach in our regular coaching uniforms. No one wears any gloves. And so all that thermal stuff you brought, throw it out. Because if we go out there dressed like that, they're going to go out there thinking it's cold. It's going to yeah. change our focus on the game. So we went out there. In the first half, we were hot, man. We were just zipping it around, okay? And we were up like 35 to 6, okay? We got some great plays. Randall made some great passes, some great plays, and he punted well, and they, had, they were in problem. we, uh, problems deep in there, and we picked off a couple of passes, and man, it was unbelievable. I went in at halftime. I called the equipment guy. I said, please get over here this second. Bring me the thermals, bring me gloves, <laughs> bring me everything you have, a cape, hat, a mittens, and everything. And then all the other assistant coaches saw me doing this. They all went and got, we went, went back out and won. I think we won 42 to 20 or whatever okay. it was, but we won the you championship. You made your point, though. I made my point, yes. but that was it. After it was, that, I wasn't going to make it. I had to thaw out, cold, okay? Yeah. I Get told him at halftime, okay, now I got you through the first half. You get yourself to the second half. <laughs> That's a great story. It That's is. Nice. There's a lot of these stories to go nice. on. All right. Well, I think for this, uh, it's a great first segment. Thank you for uh, giving a little introduction to the Trojan fans out there. And when we come back, we'll talk a little about USC recruiting. Stay tuned for more of the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, welcome back to the uh, Peristyle Podcast. This is Ryan Abraham. I'm with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, and I hope you got a little insight of what his life has been like as a, in the football world and as far as USC goes. And we want to talk to him a little bit about his experience with recruiting and what he thought of this uh, year's recruiting class. And, Coach, how, how different is recruiting now, uh, you know, with all the, the websites and and all the, you know, fans can see film and pictures and get a lot of information on guys that coaches probably couldn't even have got before. Well, I'll tell you, recruiting changed, has changed a lot because of the website and because of the recruiting services that are out there, too. You know, parents can go out and, and, and pay some money and send videotapes and, and make their own highlight films and send them to services and so on. And these services, universities buy these services. And they, they get the services and they take a look at all of these players before... In the past, they used to have to go out and look at film or get film from the high schools all over the country and look at them. Now they come to them on the website and CDs, a whole game, a highlight of a player. And yet one time, they've got served these services, hire these individuals to do the whole Southern California or to do the whole high school level or the whole community le uh, yeah. college level. And what happens, you sit down as a recruiting coordinator or you say, I just want to look at quarterbacks. Or I just want to look at running backs. So you give your position coach all of the top running backs in the country. Yeah. He sits there and watches them all. Or all the top receivers in the country. He sits there and watches them all. Yeah. Then you take him into the head coach and you've selected who you think the top players are and you sit down and you watch all of these players. But before you visit and before you continue on, you have to check out the, uh, the uh, eligibility portion of it, their admittance problem. Because thank you very much. We're now having some lentil soup here at the Burger Continental, so everyone knows. Yes. And uh, again, it's the same beautiful girl that's joined us. So um, to continue, so what happens with this 
is on the recruiting process is you never want to visit a kid or mislead a kid. So you want to also get updates on the transcripts of these kids. So before you visit a kid or start to recruit a kid, you contact that high school, you contact your school. First of all, you have to ask the kid for permission and the parents to take a look at their contract. That's the Buckley Amendment. They can't release a contract or a, a, a transcript unless the, you have permission. Okay. So they, they send it in. They have evaluators in the athletic department to go down and check the NCAA guidelines and they have the requirements and solids and so on because the worst thing to do is to recruit a kid, get him in, spend the money recruiting, having him fly across country or locally, and then find out later that he's not admissible. Now you've misled that kid, plus you've spent money that you shouldn't have spent, and you spent a lot of time on this. this you could have been recruiting somebody else. That's right, yeah, all of that. And plus the kid is hurt, and then he feels you might not have liked him, and he, he has bad feelings. Mm -hmm. So it's always best to keep or be honest with every player. And, you know, we want you, we want to bring you, but if maybe if you can make these grades up or do this or do that, you know, these are the things we have to do to make you admissible at USC. Yeah. So you have a plan. It's like an architect. You're building your class. You're okay. building your 2008 class. They're already building your 2009 class. Yeah, they're already great working. Great foundation for it already, yeah. Yeah, and they're already working on 2010 class. Don't think they're not. They already know from all of these summer camps and the camps on campus and the high, uh, high school and community college combines. They have the same combines the NFL do. They have it at Stanford. They have all the camps at all these universities. SC brings in the top four or 500 players in the country. They compete against each other. Yeah. They get to know each other. They, they know the coaches. Uh, Coach Carroll gives them a pep talk and, and all of that. So the, the kids already relate to the coaches and have a feeling of what they want to do, and some of the players already commit early. They commit early even in the summer after the camps. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, USC's got, I think, seven of the rivals' 100 kids for the class of 2009 already committed, and it's not something Pete Carroll's done historically in the past. He does like doing in-person evaluations, like you said, with the camps and bringing people in. But guys like Mac Brown in Texas and, and UCLA started doing this last year. They had a lot of the top juniors committing early, and he's kind of responded to that, giving, you know, watching more film and not being able to see as many people in person and being and getting commitments from guys and making offers to guys before, you know, typically the last few years, he hasn't been doing that before. So you've seen Pete Carroll, who's a great recruiter in the Pac-10, who could be the greatest recruiter in the country, ch even change his philosophy just adapting to the times. All right, you have to adapt every day, you know. Yeah. If you don't adapt, you die. That's my old saying, adapt or die. Especially in the world of recruiting, because you can be a great coach, but if you don't have a, a great player or great players, you're an ordinary coach. You've got to respect every coach. Every coach is a good coach or they wouldn't be there. They've won somewhere. Yeah. Or they've done something right to become a coach in the Pac-10, right? You've had you to have done something yeah. right. So what does it come down to? If you're still the same on X and O's and so on, it comes down to players. Who are you coaching? Who are you motivating? Who are you getting on your campus to help you? And how do you do that, especially when you already have great players? And that's something that USC has been able to do, bring back-to-back -back recruiting classes that are unbelievable. Like this year, a lot of people, you know, didn't rank them as high as what I thought they should have been ranked. But uh, who cares? When you have so many players coming back, it's not what the people think. It's what you think as a coaching yeah. staff. I mean, I'd rather have my class ranked way down and have them play well than be like Jerry Faust was, have great recruiting years. Everybody <laughs> thought he should have won a national championship. He didn't, and he got fired. Right. Yeah. You see what I mean? No, no, you're right there. And I think this was a, lot, a class of need, too, where you had 10, more than half the class was linemen, and I, they haven't really done that much in the past. It's hard to get a a very uh, you know, glitzy type of class when you don't sign a premier quarterback and you don't have a, 
a big every down running back in the class. And, you, you know, half the class is linemen. They didn't have the same numbers as some of the other schools did as well because it, it seems like Pete Carroll's definitely focusing on, like you said earlier in the segment, getting guys in that he knows are going to qualify academically. And they're, they're trying not to have too many academic casualties. They've been pretty good at that where some of the other schools are signing – you know, Alabama signed 32 kids. Well, there's there's definitely going to be some academic casualties there. You can't get all those kind of kids in, in school. So I, I think Pete Carroll's done a good job of being focused and, and being more stringent with offers than some of the other some of his peers. Well, you know, you, you, you hope not to sign a kid unless you have a plan for him. you got to have a plan. You can sign a kid with the understanding he's going to go to community college or he's going to gray shirt or go to community college in gray shirt, which means he goes there, he, he enrolls in under... Uh, uh, 12 units, which means he takes 11 units, he shows academically, he makes up the classes that he's missed, that he can do it, then you bring him in the, in February, you bring him in school, and you count him against the next year's class. Okay. So you can still sign him, but you don't want him to go anywhere. Yeah. So you want to go out and get the best ones. You, he might not have a core course or a couple of courses, but you sign him to give him the faith in your program that, hey, I have, I have confidence in you. We want you. I'm going to sign you, but this is what you got to do. If I do this, will you do that? And then you form a relationship, and they do that. And so uh, everyone has a, a little bit of that going on. Everybody does. You can't help that. But some kids fall off at the end and miss it or don't score high enough on the test or something. But uh, you always have to plan for that. Yeah. Now, you've been around this program for a while, and obviously Pete Carroll's been wildly successful you know, as a recruiter. Um, you, know, you were a good recruiter. You see guys you know, like Rick Newhouse over at UCLA. He's had a history of being a good recruiter. What do you think, what is that factor that makes a guy that maybe you know, is a mediocre coach but he's a great recruiter or, or that would change you know, the, the landscape of a guy that's trying to coach and be a great coach but he can't recruit? What's that little it factor that those guys that can recruit have? Well, you have to have a personality. And you got to have someone that looks. Now, if you're a mother and you look at Pete Carroll, let's face it, are you going to let him come in for a home visit? Sure, yeah. Huh? All day long, yeah. Yeah, you are, aren't you? He's a good-looking guy, isn't he? Good-looking guy, and everybody's so popular. He might be the most popular person in athletics in Southern California. I'm just saying might be. I don't yeah. know. There probably somebody else out there that someone might think is more popular. But I tell you, I, I think he would go into a restaurant and never pay a bill. I think he could park his car anywhere and the cop wouldn't give him a ticket. He just wanted to talk to him and get his autograph. <laughs> uh, he can go anywhere in the city and feel safe. He's the king of L.A. Pretty no, he much. is. Yeah, yeah. He really is. And he's got that type of personality. He's an A personality, which means he can't sit still. Uh, and you have to be that. You have to be relentless. You have to, you have to set a, a standard of work ethics that uh, the rest of your staff says, i got to keep up with this guy or he's going to get rid of me. And the team feels the same way. Yeah. See, you have to move. That means everybody lifts their level of competitiveness, work, work uh, ethics, the whole thing. Because he's everywhere and doing everything. And he visits 13 high schools in one day when he goes out recruiting. So, you know, that's not crazy. That's smart because he doesn't have to spend as much time there. The word is Pete Carroll was on campus today. And all you need to do is run in and say hi to the principal, too. Yeah. I used to never miss the principal's office. I would go in and sit down and shake his or her hand and say, let him know that I care about what she's done. Thank you very much for allowing an athletic program like this to be on your campus. It means a lot. These type of things. And away you go, man. Or you talk to the equipment guy. But before you get there, you've been told by your assistant coach who's helping make the call. There's somebody on that campus who's helped making the call on where this kid's going to school. Could be the equipment guy. On Terrell Davis, when I got him, it was the equipment guy. He was close to the equipment guy. So I had to talk to the equipment guy to let him know that this was the best place for Terrell Davis. So 
you, you remember, you got to find out everything on the background. Is his sister, grandma? Who is the one making the call? Who is he? Ultimately, he's going to sit down with his coach or somebody and say, what do you want me to do? I'll tell you, I talked to uh, uh, Eric Dickerson. And I said, I sat down with Eric uh, at the Super Bowl party two years ago. He was at, we were all together. And I said, Eric, why'd you go to SMU? He says, Coach, you want me to tell you the truth? Yep. He says, my grandma raised me. And I told my grandma, I'm not going to leave you. I'm never going to leave my grandma. I said, she raised me and took care of me. I'm going to leave Dallas. I'm going to leave my grandma there by herself. You got to be crazy. He says, I was going to stay in town the whole time. That's why I went to SMU. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. I mean, and it's hard. It's a very hard thing to try to get. I mean, you have a story like that. But just kids in general, get kids to leave home is a difficult thing. And I think that's what makes Pete Carroll's run so amazing that he's able to go and, and hit a pretty high percentage of the best guys in a, in a out-of-state you know, school area and just grab them and be able to bring them in, like the best guy from Minnesota or Michigan or Alabama or Florida. He's able to do that, and it's not easy to do. I mean, it's not easy to get a guy to leave home, and you, you heard that. Have with you ever been in Minnesota about this time of year? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty Tim cool. Brewster just had a great <laughs> recruiting year, but he's the same type of guy Pete Carroll is. Yeah. Doesn't sleep. Goes home for an hour just to pretend like he went there, then comes back and he goes to work again. I okay. just talked to one of their staff members the other day. He says, man, I can't take it. I'm too old for this. But, uh, you know, that's what it takes. I, I'll give you another story. The same Super, Do uh, Super Bowl party was Wendell Tyler. I don't know if you know Wendell, but he yeah, played yeah, for the Rams and played at UCLA, great and, player. And his son's on the team, Mark Tyler. Mark yeah. Tyler. Yeah. So I asked him, and I might have told you this story when we met up here the other day, but I'll tell it to our listeners. Uh, I said, Wendell, your son is going to USC. This was a year ago. I said, how'd you, how'd you allow that to happen? I said, you went to UCLA. You live in L.A. How'd you allow that to happen? He said, hey, coach. He said, you ever run on the field in the Coliseum? That's where the Rams played. So he played with that. He said, there's no feeling like that. He says, there's no feeling like that. I want my son to have that feeling. So, you know, there's always stories, you see, yeah. behind the scene on everything. Every recruit, yeah. All right, well, that's a great segment of Thanks on Recruiting. We're actually going to break for a recruiting blitz from Gerard Martinez. He's going to get everyone up to speed on the 2009 class. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the off-season workouts as the team's getting prepared for spring football. All right, Trojan fans, it's time to get up to speed with the recruiting blitz from Gerard Martinez. With only three defensive ends returning from last year's team, Nick Perry became one of USC's most important signees in 2008. The 6'4", 235-pound Army All-American selection had a record-breaking 36 sacks last season. Curtis Blackwell, who coached Perry at both Detroit McKenzie and Martin Luther King High Schools, gave Trojan fans a preview of what to expect from Perry next fall. USC has gotten a playmaker, and they've gotten, they can expect to see a kid who's going to make, uh, who's going to be able to actually, uh, who's going to be able to make uh, big-time plays uh, from from uh, all over the field. And I say that because uh, he's going to make, he's going to do more than just make sacks, but he's going to also be able to run, run plays down. And uh, he's also going to be athletic enough that he can probably drop back in any type of coverage or zones or things of that sort as well. So um, I think that they got the complete package, you know what I'm saying, when they got when they got the kid, Nick. I mean, that was definitely a big-time, big-time, big-time uh, uh, pickup for uh, USC. For the class of 2009, USC head coach Pete Carroll may have to wait until September to make off-campus recruiting evaluations. 
This week, Carroll expressed his frustration with the NCAA's decision to eliminate off-campus recruiting activities by head coaches during the May evaluation period. Carroll, who called the decision terrible, would like to see a rules reversal before the evaluation period begins on April 15th. While Carroll may not be able to leave campus to recruit this spring, he was scheduled to host four-star junior linebacker Vontez Burfecht on campus today. However, Burfecht, who is expected to commit to USC, may have to reschedule his unofficial visit due to family obligations. Junior four-star wide receiver Randall Carroll is expected to unofficially visit UCLA this weekend. Carroll committed to USC last fall, but has expressed interest in keeping an open mind about the recruiting process. Before California's fastest football player had his highlight tape debut on Rivals.com, Carroll talked about his interest in taking official visits next fall. Yeah, I'm still staying open. I'm young. I'm only junior. I'm barely 16. So I'm just trying to stay open, check everything out, because I don't really know where I want to go yet. Uh, I want to check out Cal, Florida, uh, Virginia, and Georgia. Rounding out the week, Andalusia, Alabama four-star linebacker Nico Johnson says he expects to receive a scholarship offer from USC within the next few days. Johnson, six foot two, 220 pounds, had 126 tackles as a sophomore and is currently ranked as the nation's 28th best junior. With your recruiting blitz, I'm Gerard Martinez. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, welcome back, Coach. Uh, we're back with Coach Harvey Hyde. This is Ryan Abraham. And uh, this segment, we want to talk a little bit about the off-season workouts. Uh, I was down there on campus yesterday, Coach, and uh, players had a throwing session where there's players only practice. They were throwing the ball around, just trying to get... Uh, you know, get the timing down as they're preparing for spring ball. And I got to catch up with uh, Mark Sanchez, the uh, front runner for you know quarterback, starting quarterback job, to see what he had to say about what these offseason workouts are doing. The Trojans held another informal throwing session Tuesday afternoon on campus. Afterwards, we talked to junior quarterback Mark Sanchez about how these player-only practices prepare the team for spring football. Um, I think it's just for um, the guys to get back in the swing of things. Get their football muscles working again, you know, because we've been lifting so much and running uh, so many drills that they kind of lose touch with the feel of things and spacing out on the field. So with and and staying in sync with our plays. So um, this is a great opportunity for them to to get back in sync. And I think they're doing a great job. You know, tight ends, backs, and receivers are, are looking awesome as well as the defense. They're they're playing as tough. So it's it's a good challenge for us, and and it starts the competition already. It's fun. As a leader on offense, Sanchez must arrange and organize these workouts for the team. Just, um, Make sure that the balls are out here on time. Uh, make sure the guys understand what's going on, you know, whether it's pat and go or seven on, uh, one-on-one drills, and just kind of lead guys through this thing. And um, by now they, they pretty much have a feel. It's called a senior practice because the older upperclassmen just kind of run the show. And, um, you know, the offensive and defensive line get their one-on-one work. So it's, it's, uh, it's just going to help us come uh, spring so there's no um, wrinkles when we start. We're already 
into the full swing of things. By now, I mean, our strength and our speed is, has increased tremendously, and I think um, we're going to be ready. I mean, hit the, the goal is to hit spring full speed. And, um, you know, you can see that in the weight room. You can see that out on the field at 6 a.m. for our team runs, getting our conditioning uh, underway already. So I think we're, we'll be in great football shape, and, I mean, Coach Carlisle's always done a great job with that. This week, the players added a third outdoor workout, 30-minute NCAA-sanctioned workouts with their individual position coaches. It's just um, individual drills. So, you know, the running backs work on their path to the hole. Uh, the quarterbacks work on their, their mesh point with the running backs, you know, their, their uh, footwork. Um, and, and it's a great chance to tune up the nuances of the game. You know, the linemen work on their pulls without, you know, having to worry about hitting the back and things like that. And so um, it's, it's important for us to, to get those things uh, ironed out before we start spring so we're not working on the fundamentals. And, and that's exactly what we get ironed out here. Sanchez will be in a heated position battle with Mitch Mustaine and Aaron Corp come spring. And he knows he needs to get as many reps as possible with the backs and receivers before practice starts. So it's important for all of us to... Uh, to be out here and, and make our presence known. You know, we're, we're fighting for a job. And, um, you know, being my third year now, I, I kind of know what's going on, and I know that these workouts are valuable, and they, they help come spring. So um, I think I'll be able to hit spring full speed and, um, you know, in good shape with my arm and my legs. Um, and, you know, I get a chance to express my leadership ability out here with these workouts, so it, it works out well. All right, so it's pretty interesting, Coach. Um, what what were the workouts like when, when you were a coach? What did they have to do? I mean, you said you just had a strength and conditioning coach. Were the players working on their own? Did, did you guys have a lot more coaching time back then? How is it different than it is today? Well, uh, I don't know if it's any different, but they have a strength. Chris Carlisle is a strength and conditioning coach, yeah. coach at USC. He's one of the best in the nation. In fact, I think a year ago he was voted that. Yeah, definitely. And everyone is uh, copying his way. I know Rick Rod Rodriguez now at uh, Michigan is going to go his way and do the things he's doing. Uh, he's sort of a he's different than what the power lifting and the explosion he's, yeah, he's, he's, not, worried, he's no. not worried about max bench presses no. things like that he, he does a lot of weight room work but then he also does a lot of field work uh, they're, right. they're out there on the field four days a week you're exactly way. right flexibility bending your legs being able to move explode play the game of football a lot of people are, were developing as we were at that time bodybuilders bodybuilders and power lifters yeah. you know we say how many reps did you get at 500 pounds well yeah. That didn't, that didn't relate to football. No. You've got to do things that relate to football. You don't play football on your back. I no, think no, Carlos that, that's says. a good yeah, one, yeah. too. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. So, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we did a more of that type of program. It's changed now. We did a lot of running, a lot of conditioning. Because when I coached, your football program was developed and made in the spring. I mean, we, we hit every day. I mean, it was brutal. It was survival. It used to be survival. You've read the stories on Bear Bryant in Alabama and Texas right. A&M. Well, it was the same at SC with John McKay and that group. You had Margu on the defensive line, Hudson Houck on the offensive line. And they would just go out there and they just, it was one-on-one. -on -one. That's uh, Dennis Shaw transferred from SC. He was a quarterback. Remember Dennis Shaw? Played yeah. for San Diego State in Buffalo. When he went over there, they had him a linebacker taking on blasts from Homer Williams and so on. He said... I'm a quarterback. And they said, you stay over there. You're a freshman year. You're a linebacker. And he says, I said, I'm a, I'm a quarterback. Yeah. So he transferred from SC, went to Mount Sac, then went to San Diego State and played with the Buffalo Bills for 10 or 12 years and so on. A great quarterback. Wow. Yeah. So Nowadays, you put a yellow jersey on those guys. You can't even touch them. Little, oh, no. Make them play linebacker. No, no, no. no he was a linebacker. Yeah. So things have changed. Because it used to be a survival. It used to be, hey, if you get hurt in the spring, we got a lot of time for you to get well. So we're gonna, if we're going to get hurt, we're not going to hit you as much in the fall, but we're going to hit you in the spring, and you're going to learn 
how to become a football player. I'm going to find out who wants to play football in the spring and who doesn't want to. I want to find out who uh, hangnail is bothering them or who has a heart. And, uh, you know, the only time you are hurt is if, you, if your heart was bleeding. Otherwise, you're not hurt. And if you go in the training room and see a trainer, I'm going to say, what's wrong? Should we call the paramedics? Because uh, you're not hurt. you got to play. you got to learn to play hurt. And that's the way it used to be. Now it's a little bit different because each athlete is worth a lot more money. Yeah. And each athlete is coming to the university and wanting to play young and be able to move on, if he's that quality of athlete, to the NFL. So he more or less takes care of his body a little bit better. And it's fine-tuned a little bit better. It's not, it's not cross-country uh, racing anymore, right, yeah. you know, with bangs and boozes and all of this. It's fine-tuning, take care of your athlete, get them on the field, play, which John McKay did, don't get me wrong, but it was a more physical type of tough guy game. Right. It was more toughness, you know. You get lawsuits now if you did some oh, of that oh, yeah. stuff. It yeah. used to be, you know, and then Marv used to hang on the face mask players, you know, or, or he'd line up and go against them. You think I'm kidding you? You were uh, younger then. You didn't see that. But but they love Marco. They love Hudson out. They love John McKay. They loved all those players because that's the way the game was played. And yeah. that's what the tradition at USC was made with Homer Jones and everybody else. That's where it is, baby. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people loved Ed, Ed Orgeron. It seemed like a throwback to those kind of days. Exactly, yeah. man. He used to headbutt you. I used to <laughs> love that. He, uh, he headbutt you. you know, and you didn't want to come off the field without playing it uh, hard for him. And, you know... Uh, I just love Ed Orgeron and those type of coaches, and it's a little different now, but the athletes are different too. The athletes have a different sense of why they're in college, what their goals are, uh, uh, where, where their futures want to be. You know, everybody doesn't want to be a doctor and a lawyer now. Everybody's looking for that pro career. Right. And it isn't going to happen to everybody. It just isn't going to happen to everybody. So when I recruited, I said, I've got to have my guys that want to major in pro football. I've got to have my majors that want to be guys that want to be doctors and lawyers. I've got to have a combination of everything so that the academic guys help the guys that want to make be a career in pro football. So they work together well. Right. It's like and, and the attorney guys want to get close, and they work hard, but they want to represent. And these, these pro football players need those attorneys to take care of them. So you bond them together. You have a little bit of academics mixed in with great players, and you become a family. And you live, and, and those academic guys teach some of the guys who don't care about academics how important it really is. And they start saying, it isn't that hard. Yeah. Why don't you graduate? Come to class with me. If you have all guys who don't want to go to class, no one's going to go to class. So no one's going to be eligible. Right. So you, you got to have all pro football players. Right. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So you got to have a combination where guys are going to class and guys follow them to class. And all of a sudden, they find it isn't that bad. And I used to say, you sit in the front row. If the teacher comes in with a heavy load, you run down and pick it up. Say, can I help you? You always call her, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. Thank you, please. I really enjoyed your class today. Walk her down the stairs. Walk her across campus. And I'm going to tell you, she's going to pass you. She will find a way to pass you because you care enough about her. Yeah. When she looks at your grade and she says, D, 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 but he was really good C. Now, you might laugh about that when you're listening to me on it. But I'm going to tell you, everybody likes respect. Everyone wants to be treated right. Myself, you, our listeners. So if you, if you let someone know that you are a decent person and you're struggling sometimes, they want to help you. Yeah. I always used to say, and a doctor said this, and I learned this, you know, a doctor's willing to help somebody who wants to help themselves and struggling to stay alive. But a doctor doesn't want to help somebody that doesn't care or doesn't want to stay alive. You don't care why they're yeah, yeah. right. Well, that's the same thing with a teacher. If a teacher knows you care and you want to pass this class, they're going to help you pass yeah. this class. But if you don't care, why do they care? 
Yeah, Coach, I agree. And, and when you see the amount of time these players have to put into workouts, they have conditioning workouts with Coach Carlisle, you know, four days a week. Two days a week, they're doing individual drills with their coaches. They, they can't have their NCAA sanctioned events. They can't have footballs on the field, but the position coaches can kind of run guys through things, getting them ready for spring ball. And then the players go out a couple days a week on their own, just throwing the football around, trying to get the timing down. It's amazing they have time for academics at all. Well, you know, you, you always hear that term about athletes get special treatment. Well, they should. I'll tell you, the amount of time they spend uh, representing the university, I'm going to say it that way, representing the university, national televised games, millions of dollars being uh, contributed to the university because of the pride. And there's been studies done that when football teams win, people give more money to the university. More students apply to the university and so on. So, you know, they work hard, yet they're on the field all this time, but when they go in the classroom, they still have to compete against that student that's been studying all weekend when they've been in Palo Alto. Yeah. They've got to come back and take that test on Monday. They don't change the test schedules. Uh, so they got to come back and take that test, and, and it's a little bit more difficult for them. And, 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 it's, and, and their time, there isn't an off-season anymore. There's no off-season It doesn't seem like there is at all. Not no. football, any no. sport. There is not an off-season. If you're not lifting, you're, you're going to summer school, or you're making classes up during the summer because you, you can't take the labs during the year because they run in the football practice. So it's, they're special. They should be treated special. People don't like that term. Some of the faculty members don't like that term. Uh, but they really are. They represent your university in so many different ways. And uh, on the Rose Bowl itself, look how many millions of people watch USC play whoever they're playing in the Rose Bowl. And $14 million that is given out to the Pac-10 or whoever it is uh, with uh, their appearance there. So they're special people, and I've always said this. What if I told you that all of a sudden the teams all got together on a Saturday and uh, they were all unified, all the universities throughout the country, national TV, the stadiums are full, 100,000, 114 in Michigan, all over the season, all over this, this, uh, the, this country, and the first game of the day, the first game of the day, wherever it might be, East Coast somewhere, UConn and somebody, there's a flash on Sports Center. Team stays in the locker room. Team stay in the locker room. And all of a sudden, the college football player has decided they're not going to come on the field and play. Not just at Rutgers, but at SC. At everyone. Now, I'm not saying that SC would do this. And there's a statement being made saying, millions of dollars are made on us. People sometimes don't think we're special. And I said that I think an athlete's special. What would the nation think on a Saturday when they're all kicked back with their chips and dips and everything and they're all tailgated, ready to take the stadium, they'd go in there and nobody comes out? That'd be one strong well, union, yeah. <laughs> let me tell, would that be a strong union? And they said, we don't want a lot, but you know, I want more than toothpaste. I want to be able to go on a date. I want to be able to fly home maybe on Thanksgiving and maybe the university pay for it or the NCAA. And maybe uh, the billion dollars that these networks are making might only be three-quarters of a billion dollars. And we're going to stay in the locker room throughout the country, and everybody can sit there and tailgate. What would happen? Now, let me tell you, what are you going to do to this tape? You're going to kick them off? You're going to kick them off. You're not going to have any football season. So you're going to call them. Oh, you guys go out here and kick you off. Okay, go see you later. They all get dressed and go home. Now, what type of football team you have? Yeah. Huh? What type of television contracts do you have? None. Now, can't even imagine how crazy that would be. Would it, would it be crazy? Yeah. So, what if there was a unification of all the football players throughout the country, 
that said that, made a statement. They would say, oh, we can't do this because if we pay you, we have to pay basketball. We have to pay baseball. We have right. to pay everybody. Well, you probably would have to. Well, it wouldn't have to be at the same level. It would be adjusted to what the income was of that sport. And, and it could be done all from the television revenues or whatever, or bring in the fifth game or the, or the fourth game, the one, the four, the five plus one, plus one and give yeah, all the one plus one to the athlete. Lately, yeah. Why should they give it to you? Why, why should someone else give it? Yeah. Give it to the athletes. And, then, and now this is the reason I bring this up is when people say these athletes aren't special, they are special because they bring billions of dollars to the universities to the industry. How about the poor guy that parks his cars over by the Coliseum? No one comes to park his cars at 20 bucks a spot. Yeah. <laughs> it's he, pretty expensive no, now. <laughs> no, but you understand what I'm yeah. telling you? It affects everybody if oh, these no. guys decide. Vendors and, oh, yeah. We're not coming on the field. Now, I'm not saying that's ever going to happen. I'm not advocating that happening. Right. I'm right. going back to the point saying athletes are special yeah. and they deserve special treatment. They go year around. 12 months a year. They have to take the same test that students take that weren't in Palo Alto on Monday yeah. or Sunday or Saturday or whatever day of the event is, okay? Yeah. yeah. And they have to go to the combine and they have to be there a week when the other students are studying. All right. All right. Okay? That's a good point, Coach. And, uh, well, I just like to stir it up a little. I do. Oh, you, you like me to stir it up I a do. Little? I like to stir it I up. I stir it up on Sunday so mornings. I stir it up all the time. you play advocate. All right. No, um, I'm not. Yeah. I just wanted to say my whole point was I don't think they, I don't know if they, they're getting their education. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay. I never paid any athletes. They don't need to get, I didn't get paid. But what I'm saying, the term, are they special? Yes, they are. And they should be treated special. That's my point. Cool. All right, Coach. Well, I appreciate your time. It was a great uh Second episode of the podcast. We hope we can definitely have you on in the future. And uh, if you going to, you have any coach, any questions for the coach or myself, you can email podcast at uscfootball.com. Thanks again, for, coach, for your time. It's a great lunch here at the, the what's the place called again? The Burger Continental. The Burger Continental. At 535 South Lake in Pasadena, California. Great place. Thanks again for your time and thank all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Peristyle Podcast. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.